And so, Lord God, nothing compares to what you have done for me. And yet, Lord God, you ask us to make an offering, and we want to make an offering. And so we pray, Lord God, that you would use this offering for your purposes. Help us as a church to use it the way that you desire. And Lord God, we ask that you would help us to preach. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow. Jonathan, 500 bucks this week. That's really great. I mean, that's a, that is a tremendous and wonderful gift. Duncan. Five hundred bucks. Here, take it. We don't want it. Why the long face? Why are you angry? If you do well, will you not be happy, lifted? If you don't do well, Duncan... Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, and you must conquer it. You must rule over it. Am I going to have to separate the two of you? <sighs> Sorry about that. Let's read our scripture for the evening. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. I've gotten a man. Now, that's really a big deal because you remember that in the uh, last chapter, uh, God said that the seed of the woman, the seed of, of Eve, would crush the head of the serpent, the snake. Cain means gotten. It may also mean smith, as in metal worker, iron worker. Cain is, is a big deal. I mean, Cain is a man. He's made of, of iron. He's tough, and he's, and he's hard, and he could be the seed, the promised seed. Eve says, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord, or perhaps I've gotten a man equal with the Lord. Whatever the case, Eve is really excited about Cain. Next verse. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Abel literally means vapor, weakness, nothingness, breath. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, literally in the Hebrew, this reads, at the end of days. Now that's fascinating and mysterious, but translators don't like fascinating and mysterious, so they just cut it out and change it. But it reads, at the end of days, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. 
The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted or literally lifted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you and you must conquer it. You must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were out in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Let that be a warning. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and Adam, driven from the Adamah, he is ungrounded. Away from the ground and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wonder on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain, away, Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. You know what Nod means? Nod literally means wondering. So Cain literally settles in unsettledness. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. So Cain the unsettled, who's supposed to wonder, builds a city of unsettledness in the land of unsettledness, and this is not rest in the image of God. Weird story. But right off the bat, we learn three things that are really very counterintuitive. Number one, doing good things does not mean that good things will happen to you. At least not in this world, outside of the garden. Doing good things could mean that you'll get killed, like Abel, like Jesus. And yet you'll be lifted, says Yahweh. Whatever that means, you'll, you'll be lifted. If you do well, will you not be lifted, whatever that is. Number two, we learn that trying to be good can make you very bad. In all of recorded history, this is the first instance of religion and also the first instance of murder. And number three, it's very difficult for us to judge a good deed good or bad, from the outside objectively. I mean, both fruit offering and meat offering were prescribed in the temple in Israel. Obviously, um, they were both acceptable. Objectively, they were both acceptable. It's not like God hates farmers and loves ranchers. Objectively, they were both probably worth just about the same, at least to them, 500 bucks or so which makes you wonder what makes one offering good and another offering bad? And that begs an even deeper question, why are they giving offerings at all? I mean, did that occur to you? 
We just read Genesis chapters 1 through 3. I mean, God just created everything with a word, and everything that he created is good. Does God need a sheep? Does he need a goat? Does he need a bag of barley or grain or wheat? Does he? The dude who speaks everything to existence with a word, does he need your money? Does God need our money? Is he short of cash? He just made everything with a word. What do you get for the guy who has everything? What do you give the man who has everything? Nothing. <laughs> you can only give your nothing. Unless, of course, you think that you are really something. Romans 11.35, Paul writes, Who has given a gift to him, God, that he might be repaid? Well, probably not Abel. Abel means vapor, weakness, emptiness. He's like an empty vessel, a pipe, or a conduit. I imagine that whatever he gives, he knows was first given to him. So Abel's gift is literally a gift from weakness. He's able because he's not able. <laughs> That's able. But Cain, Cain is a big deal. And I bet he thinks he's probably even the promised seed. So maybe he thinks he could really give a gift that might be repaid. Because of Cain's sorrow, anger, and envy, it's clear that Cain did expect to be repaid with gratitude, validation, the love of God. Cain expected to earn God's love. But who has given a gift to God that it might be repaid? For from him and to him and through him are all things. I mean, did Cain make that grain? Answer, no. Did uh, Cain make Cain who farmed the grain? No. Can you make grain? Can you make a lamb? Can you make, for dinner, yeah. Can you make money? Kinda. Can you make you that made the money? No. We say stuff like this. Well, yeah, but I made a good choice. Well, did you make you that made the choice? In order to make a choice, there has to be a chooser. Did you make the chooser? Did you make the chooser that is you? No, I don't think so. Romans 9, 16. So it depends not on human will or exertion, but not according to Cain. Must have felt kind of responsible for himself and his gift. And there he, for he, he, he kind of expected something in return. And when he didn't get it, he used his knowledge of good and evil to judge God, then judge Abel, and then judge himself. He grew angry at God. But where's God? How do you get angry at God? How do you take out your anger on God? Does God have flesh and blood? Cain took out his anger on Abel. How do you take out your anger at God? 
Here's how. You judge someone last and least. And whatever you do unto the last and the least of these, there you go. Well, anyway, God had said, if you do well, will you not be lifted? Abel did well. And so he must have been lifted. Another way maybe to say that is that weakness was strong. Humility was exalted. Now, I doubt Cain could understand that. However, he could see that and want that and envy that. You see, Cain envied Abel at the altar. (laughs) He envied humble Abel at the altar. There was once a rabbi who was absolutely overcome with the greatness of God's creation. And so he ran down to the front of the sanctuary and he fell in front of the altar. And with great humility, he bent crying out, I'm nobody, I'm nobody, I'm nobody. The cantor in the back of the synagogue saw the rabbi moved by his devotion and by his humility. The cantor, who's like the choir director, also ran forward, fell down next to the rabbi, and he started crying, I'm nobody, I'm nobody, I'm nobody. The janitor, who was cleaning the floors in the back, he saw the cantor and the rabbi, and moved by their humility and devotion, he also ran down, fell at the front, in front of the altar, and he began crying out as well, I'm nobody, I'm nobody. And just then, the cantor uh, poked the rabbi and indicated the janitor and said, look who thinks he's a nobody. That's us. That's the insanity of envy in our faith. In our faith, envy is insanity. It means we don't get it. It's absurd. Competition is absurd. Literally absurd. Jesus said, if any would be first, he must be what? Last of all, he said. He said, many who are first will be last and the last first. So, if you want to be first at being last, so that you're really first, you're, you're actually last. But as soon as you really think that you're last, you're first. <laughs> but then you're last, which is first and last. I mean, that must continue till we stop judging who's last and who's first. Absurd until we stop playing that game. Absurd until we're all first and all last. Somehow absurd until we finally hear a voice that cries out from the very throne of God. It's the slaughtered lamb of God. And he cries, I am first and last. Alpha and Omega. Wow. Cain envied Abel. And God said, if, if you do well, Cain, that is, remind me again, what does Abel have to do with you, Cain? Cain envied Abel. Is there anyone you envy? Is there anyone that you would rather be? Answer honestly. If the answer is yes, then you lack faith in God's grace that he works all things together for your good, like you just sang. 
don't you? Cain envied Abel and produced hell. There's this Jewish legend that an angel appeared to an old merchant and said, I'll grant you whatever you wish, but whatever you wish, I will grant double to your rival, the merchant on the other side of the street. And the old man thought for a while, long and hard. And then he said, I wish that I would be blind in one eye. Envy turns every blessing into a curse. We compete with our neighbor and so curse our neighbor. In order to be first, we make everyone else last. If I want to be the best preacher in town, I want all others to be worse. Then I end up wishing everyone to hell and then God to hell and in the end myself to hell. When I envy, I want to be first and best and so I make others last and least. And Jesus says, whatever you do unto the last and the least, don't you get it? You do it unto me. So where was Jesus when Cain slayed Abel? Enable. And so trying to impress God, he murdered God. Like some sort of sacrificial lamb. Cain envied Abel and so wished Abel to hell, which was wishing God to hell and then wishing himself to hell, for Cain was now alone. Cain is afraid. Did you get what he's afraid of? Remember? He's afraid of being murdered. As if the measure you give is the measure you get. Imagine that. Well, God tells Cain to wander in the wilderness, and Cain builds a city, a city of disobedience, unrest, and fear, a city of envy and competition. Imagine a society built on competition, a city of envy and competition wrapped in religion. You know, the most religious city on the entire face of the earth is Jerusalem. It is also the most divided and by far the most violent. In fact, it's the one that slaughtered Jesus, the Lamb, Jerusalem. We need a new one, right? Not one built by Cain, a new Jerusalem. Well, Cain kills Abel, and God punishes Cain, and Cain says, my punishment is more than I can bear. Nosah, that's a fascinating word in Hebrew. More than I can bear. Maybe Cain now sees himself as the last and the least. Which makes you wonder, is Jesus somehow with Cain, the last and the least? God puts a mark on Cain. Cain is guilty of sin, but did you get the mark? It was grace. He's protected by grace. The mark, the sign, oath in Hebrew, is the mark of guilt covered by grace. The very next place the word appears in Scripture, it's describing a rainbow, which is the mark, the sign of God's covenant of grace. Well, that's fascinating. In Scripture, you know, there, there are quite a few old religious murderers marked with the covenant of grace. Like Moses, 
David, Saint Paul, an old Pharisee who drugged Christians off to their death and wrote, I am the chief of sinners. You know, biblically, you cannot be a worse sinner than Paul. And then he wrote, I bear on my body the marks of Christ, the Lamb. Well, Iron Man Cain must have thought, you know, he was really something. And so he really produced something and thus expected payment, something in return. But Vaporboy Abel must have thought he was like nothing, yet with the capacity somehow to give something. So he gave a lamb. But he didn't make the lamb. He didn't own the lamb. All he could do was slaughter the lamb. But he wasn't responsible for the existence of the lamb. So he didn't expect payment for the lamb. He didn't create the good, so he couldn't expect to earn the good. He, he couldn't earn God's approval or favor or love. He could only receive love and then give love. It was just all gift. So I doubt, I doubt that he gave in order to get. I doubt he gave for some reward. So why'd he give? Perhaps giving was its own reward. You know, if I give in order to get, I'm not giving. I'm getting. I'm doing business. If I love for another reason, I'm not loving. For love is the reason. If I do good for a reward, I'm not doing good. For the good is its own reward. And so the best things that are done are done for no reason. <laughs> for they are the reason. We are to love for no reason because love is the reason. God is love and Jesus is the reason. In Greek, logos, the word. By whom all things were created. The best offering is given for no reason, because it is the reason. Like the lady who dumped a year's worth of perfume, remember, on Jesus' feet and massaged it into his feet with her hair, and Jesus said, that was like the greatest offering of all time or something, and you got to ask the question, why'd she do that? What good was that? That was good for nothing. A year's worth of ointment on his feet. Like the sheep before the throne. Jesus said, you clothed me, you fed me, you loved me. But they don't even remember it. <laughs> so why'd they do it? Like Jesus said, when you give, don't even let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. So why do it? Like when I was a young father, you know, I'd sneak into the kid's bedroom every night. I'm not sure why. And I'd just kiss him on the cheek. They didn't even know I did it. Why'd I do it? Like, why does God love you? Why does he give you your next heartbreak? Why are you here? 
Why does he create you? Why does he sustain you? You know, I think he sneaks into your room every night, kisses you on your cheek. The scriptures say he sings over you. Why is God good to you? Why does God love you? Do you understand there is no why to his love? There is no why to God's love because love is who God is. <laughs> and heaven is where, when, and how God is. So heaven is not a bribe to get people to be nice. C.S. Lewis writes, Heaven offers nothing that a mercenary soul can desire. It is safe to tell the pure in heart that they shall see God, for only the pure in heart want to. You know, people think this. I know they think this. They, they, I think it. I, I must be good to get to heaven, right? But being good is heaven. People think I must love in order to get to heaven, but love is heaven. People think I must give an offering to get to heaven, but heaven is continuous offering. It is nonstop giving. It's the great dance, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they're inviting you to join them. So if you hate loving people, if you really don't like forgiving people, if giving gifts to people that don't deserve those gifts just kind of gets in your craw, you know what I mean? If you hate mercy, well, you might as well just go to hell because you're not going to enjoy heaven one bit. In fact, heaven will burn you like the most intensive flames. It is a flame, an eternal flame, the unadulterated, unmitigated presence of your Father who is absolute love. You might as well just go to hell because <laughs> you don't want heaven. You don't understand. You might as well just go stand in a field with the older brother and Cain. If you want payment for your offering... Might as well just go stand in the middle of nowhere and nothing because that's what your offering is worth. Nowhere, nothing. You see, if God were to validate Cain's gift, what would be, he be validating? Cain's hell. When God had no regard for Cain's offering, he was loving Cain with a perfect love. Why do you give offerings? Why do you do good deeds? I felt like God was asking me this week. Peter Hyatt, why do you preach? Is it for approval? Is it for accolades? F salary? Is it so that you can be best so that others can be worse? Peter, is it to 
Is it to prove something? Do you preach to prove something to someone? Peter, do you preach to gain my favor? My love? Oh, that must be hell. Hey, Peter, maybe, maybe you could preach like a bird sings its song because <laughs> it's your nature. See, I think the last few years for me have been a painful but tremendous gift. God is liberating. God is asking, Peter, will you sing my song when there's no reward but the song itself? If you will, your countenance is lifted and heaven is at hand. When your obedience, when your obedience feels like suffering, I think God is asking this question. Will you love when there's no reward but love itself? In other words, no reward but me. In other words, am I enough? And by the way, all things are in me. Brennan Manning tells about a New Year's Day in 1969 in St. Remy, France. He was a monk with the little brothers of Jesus. He sat at a table with six other monks in an old stone house. It was breakfast. Each of them uh, were committed to living a life of contemplative prayer and solitude, uh, devoting their days to manual labor among the poor in the town and their nights to silence and prayer. Their lives were an offering. On this New Year's morning, the talk at breakfast became rather animated and lively. It turned to the topic of their jobs in the town. The German brother remarked that he thought that their wages were substandard, only 60 cents an hour. Brendan uh, commented that the employers, uh, their patrons, they never seemed to show up at mass. The Spanish brother indicated that this was rude and unkind, and the French brother said that uh, this showed hypocrisy. In disgust, the monks concluded that their self-sufficient, avaricious patrons slept all Sundays, satiated their lusts, never thinking of God, while they themselves gave their very lives as living sacrifices, offerings unto God. At the end of the table sat one old monk named Dominique Vallum. This whole time, he never said a word, never opened his mouth. Brennan looked and saw tears running down his cheeks. He said, Dominique, what, what's the matter? His voice was barely audible. Il ne'er comprenant pas. They don't understand. They don't understand. It's all he said. Jesus was lifted up, and there he cried, Father, forgive them. They don't understand. God said, Cain, 
If you do well, will you not be lifted? Abel did well, so he must have been lifted. I think his countenance was lifted. Doing well is love. Real love is freedom. And we can only love, truly love, by faith. And the New Testament tells us how Cain's offering was different than Abel's. It tells us about Abel's. Hebrews 11:4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. By faith. Faith in what? Verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeting them from afar. Verse 16. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Abel had faith in God's grace, that God's word would conquer, that his promise would conquer. The seed would crush the head of the snake, and God, God would build for them a city, a new Eden, a new Jerusalem. Cain built a city. with envy. And Abel had faith in a city whose builder and maker is God, who is love. That faith lifted Abel. Faith, hope, love lifted Abel. You see, doing well was its own reward. It lifted Abel, not only into heaven up there, but heaven into Abel down here. So Abel was no longer controlled by this world. You know, when you love, you belong to another world. You really do. Abel must have looked like Jesus. (laughs) And that, my friends, made Cain jealous. Now, do you remember why the chief priests and the religious leaders crucified Jesus? Scripture tells us in two places. Jealousy. Envy. Perhaps all our sin is a form of envy. Eve envied God, and so wanted the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All, yeah, all, all our sin is envy. It's our sin that crucified Jesus, the Lamb who was slain. Behold the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Abel offered a lamb, and Jesus is the lamb. God said, if you do well, if you do well. And we all assume that Cain could do well. If you do well, and we all assume that, that we could do well, but that all depends on whether or not we have a lamb to offer. And now I know on one level, in ancient history, Cain and Abel's offering were of the same value, like we said, and yet not at all. The story hints at it. The New Testament reveals it. Abel offered his offering in faith. And what is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. And what do we hope for? We hope in and we hope for Christ. So faith is the substance of Christ in us. Christ dwells in our hearts by faith, writes Paul. So faith in us is Christ in us, writes Augustine. You see, faith, faith is a gift. Faith is the presence of the slaughtered lamb. And that slaughtered lamb is the perfect offering. 
If we haven't received that offering, we can't give that offering. And yet that offering is all around us. It's all around us. Everything was created with a word, and that word is Jesus, and he's the lamb. That word became flesh, and we beheld his glory. We beheld his glory when he was lifted on a cross and slain for the sins of the world. At the end of the Bible, the end of days, the beginning of the seventh day, John looks and sees a slaughtered lamb standing on the throne, and we find that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Cain, you can only overcome sin. You can only rule sin by the blood of the Lamb. The Word in your testimony. In the Revelation, John sees the Lamb on the throne. Then John sees the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God. I think it's clearly a picture of the cross. Blood flows from the winepress and fills the land. Get this. It fills the land to the depths of a horse's bridle, a war horse's bridle. Cain and Abel were the first war. And in the end, all wars will cease. They will all grind to a halt in a river of lamb's blood. God's mercy. What a picture. And yet even now, God's mercy is all around you, like oxygen, right? Through him, all things are created and sustained. All around you like oxygen, but because we don't believe it, we won't receive it. And so we won't give it. We think it's a a limited commodity, so we hoard it. We try to control it. We're we're like people that that preach. Christians, we're like people that preach about oxygen, but we're we're afraid to to breathe it. Gotta love it. Trust it. It's free. Only what? No. Breathe it in. Breathe it out, Cain. It's all around you. It's not yours. And yet it's all yours. You can't make it. You can't own it. You are only a conduit for it. St. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 3. Brothers, you're still in the flesh, for there's jealousy among you. One says, I belong to Paul. Another says, I belong to Apollos. Let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Paul or Apollos, Cephas, world, life, death, present, future, all are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. You see, Cain thought that God's love was limited. So Cain thought it had to be won, produced, or stolen. So Cain killed Abel. He killed the last and the least. He killed Christ, and Christ bled an ocean of love. Come with me, my love, to the sea, the sea of love. I want to show you Oh, how much I love you. 
Maybe that's what this life is about. And Christ bled an ocean of love. The problem, though, isn't a lack of love. The problem is that you need to breathe. And you're full of yourself. Cain, you're full of yourself. Breathe out. (sighs) Like Abel, the breath. And breathe in. You have to be empty to be full of God. You have to be weak in order to be strong. You have to receive love in order to give love, like a conduit of love. You must believe God's offering to give back an acceptable offering, an offering to God. And where's God? Cain, he's in your brother. And when you give that offering, Cain, you're lifted. You enter the joy of your master, your dad. (laughs) loves giving. Imagine if your dad, this is great to imagine, was Bill Gates. And imagine if every morning, new every morning, he said to you, hey, uh, Pete, here's a million bucks. I want you to go spend it. Spend it on yourself. And then, hey, Pete, would you walk... Peter, sorry, Mom. Mom hates the word Pete. Peter, would you walk around uh, the city today, and if you see somebody that looks like they'd like some money, would you just give them 20, 30 grand? Would you do that? I mean, gosh, that, that would be kind of fun, wouldn't it? Would that lift your spirits to be able to do that? Now, some might not believe you. They'd say, oh, back off. You're, you're conning me. Some might get insulted. They'd say, I don't need your charity. But if any took it, oh, their life would change, wouldn't it? Well, your father is God. And he hasn't asked you to pass out unlimited money. I mean, I don't think that's a problem for him, but he hasn't asked you to pass out unlimited money. He's asked you to pass out something far, far more valuable, unlimited grace. New every morning, and there's nothing that can lift your spirits quite like looking someone in the eye and saying, in the name of Jesus the Christ, your sins are forgiven you. They're gone! Wiped out. Now, some may not believe you, so they'll keep envying, murdering, and wondering, but that's not up to you. And that's not why you sing the song. And some may get insulted for to receive mercy is to admit that you need it. Some, some may not receive the offering, but some may. And when they do, they change. Why? Jesus said it. The one forgiven much loves much. And loving much is the image of God. Now pay attention. Class, pay attention. Genesis 4, verse 3. At the end of days, Cain brought an offering, and Abel brought an offering. It was the firstborn of the flock. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation and our Passover lamb. Hebrews 12, 22. You've come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to sprinkle blood that speaks better than the blood of Abel. Jesus is the spotless lamb, and Jesus is even the scapegoat that wanders into the wilderness bearing, Nassau, bearing our sin. He became sin for us. It's more than we can bear. Perhaps he became Cain for us and Abel within us. He is the grace of God. He is the perfect offering in us. He makes us able. 
That's what Jesus does. He bears our sin and he makes us able. Genesis 4.3, at the end of days, we see judgment and grace. We see Christ on the cross, a slaughtered lamb on the throne. We see the love of God poured out and it creates us in the image of God. Now pay attention. Genesis 4 verse 25, and Adam knew his wife again and she bore a son and named him Seth. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed, she said. And as for Seth, to him also a son was born and named him Enosh. Then men began, then men began to call on the name of the Lord. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam in the day, the day, what day is that class? Sixth day, in the day that God created man. He made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind, Adam, in the day they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. Now Seth is your great-grandfather. He is made in the image of Adam, in the image of God, on the sixth day, through the blood of the Lamb offered at the end of days, as he cries, it is finished. Now pay attention. On the Passover, Jesus took bread That's the fruit offering, the grain offering. And he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat. And in the same manner, after supper and having given thanks, he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Lamb's blood. And it's free. Believe the gospel, and you will do well. Amen? Dark cups are wine, light cups are juice. They're both mercy. Come worship. That following year, Dominique Valium, the old French monk, developed cancer. He moved away from the monastery, went to Paris, got a job as a night watchman. He'd work all night, and in the morning, he'd go to a little park, sit on a bench, and he'd talk to whoever came along, old men, derelicts, teenagers. He'd tell them jokes, stories, listen to their thoughts and their words, and one day they asked him, well, What about you, Dominique? And he told them about Jesus. Never criticized them. He told them about Jesus and his love and how he loved each of them and died for each of them. That year, Dominique died. He died in the obscurity of the slums. They found his body and then they found his journal. And the last entry in his journal read as follows. All that is not the love of God has no meaning for me. I can truthfully say that I have no interest in anything but the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. If God wants it to, my life will be useful through my word and witness. If he wants it to, my life will bear fruit 
through my prayers and sacrifices. But the usefulness of my life is his concern, not mine. It would be indecent of me to worry about such a thing. They buried him in a pine box. More than 7,000 people from all over Europe showed up for his funeral. Believe the gospel and you will do well. You may not ever see it. In this life, you will probably be unable to judge it. But his word does not return void. You will do well because God will do well in you. In Jesus' name, amen.